Today's podcast is brought to you by Blue Canary. The bird has landed on beautiful Bainbridge Island, conveniently located at 499 Madison Avenue. ASE Master Technician Clint Ramsey brings over 15 years of experience, award-winning diagnostic skill, and a desire to reinvent the automotive repair experience. Schedule an appointment online at bluecanary.biz or call them today at 206-451-4220. I got something for your mind, body, and soul. Good Podcastville, you found the Bystander Podcast. I'm your host, Tiny Tim, the king of casual, a.k.a. the Mr. Rogers of podcasting. I have a gentleman with me today, Jim Halbrook, who is somebody you might find in the neighborhood. Jim, how you doing? Very good, thank you. Jim came to my attention because he's done some um, eco-protesting in my neighborhood, and he... Um, I think you've been going for two, three years now, right? Yeah, since uh, I think I'm going on to four years. That's incredible. Um, a friend of mine told me about you, and then I saw the New York Times illustration and, and short article about you. New York Times author, illustrator, was visiting Bainbridge Island and picked up your story, what's that, about three years ago now? Mm-hmm. And you were protesting what became kind of the McMansions, where these oversized, out-of-place development near my home, um, near Rotary Park, by the Winslow Reserve there, um, horrible in my – this is just my opinion, and I don't give my opinion often because I'm supposed to be the bystander, the fly on the wall. These houses have horrible architecture and way oversized and really don't fit in the community. Furthermore, they've taken a toll on the environment to some extent. Can you tell me how you got so disgusted that you would make signs and walk back and forth hours on every day, hours and hours every day of the week, protesting this type of growth? Uh, Initially, when I noticed... um uh, the, the sign that uh, uh, gave the public uh, notice that there was going to be a development there. Oh, the little yellow, yellow sign that everybody kicks over. Well, yeah, this was a, a very large, uh, sort of white one uh, that you could you could read it from the street, okay. saying that uh, there was going to be a land use change at this site. Let's get that mic a little closer before we keep going. Thank you. And um, so I contacted the city to find out about it. And once I learned uh, the scale of the development, I wrote letters and attended city council to object to that sort of development because it uh, – between Finch and Weaver Roads is a creek that uh, runs from the Suzuki Forest down to Eagle Harbor. And that creek uh, is flanked by pasture and forest land that was home to a lot of uh, wildlife. Yeah, pheasants, coyotes, yeah, rodents. Pheasant. Exactly. And uh, so I knew it was going to destroy that habitat. And what they had in mind was on one side of the creek was about uh, 18 to 20 McMansions. And on the Finch Road side of the creek was another dozen. So, uh, of course, it, it just goes through. There's The city hears your objections, but they're not going to stop a development. Uh, um, 
And the final step of that process uh, goes to the hearing examiner. Mm-hmm. And so there it's sort of a semi-judicial sort of hearing to determine whether the project should go ahead or not. So a number of neighbors and myself uh, attended that meeting and provided testimony. And uh, the developer's lawyer was there and just pretty much dismissed us all as having no standing. Uh, and the environment does not, uh, uh, you know, supersede the the builder's rights to put up the McMansions. So that was sort of a, a done deal. But wasn't this developed during? Sorry to interrupt, but wasn't this developed during the critical area ordinance being in effect? Well, I think this actually uh, spurred that okay. uh, moratorium and and the critical areas ordinance, and in fact the ARPA, the Aquifer uh, Recharge. Mm-hmm. So I think all of that happened kind of as a result of this, because in addition to these developments, there was the sort of the row houses that were um, constructed there on uh, Wyatt, just a block off of Grow. I don't the, know if you remember those. The the Grow community, or no, no, it was like just uh, uh, east, excuse me, west of there, just down the hill a bit, right where Level hits uh, Wyatt. Right. Okay. That, that was a forest area too. Mm-hmm. So a lot was sort of happening there. They were really cramming in a lot of development on these tiny spots. So um, I, I actually – I just felt quite powerless. And because I, uh, I've i been objecting to overdevelopment and land degradation for a long time, uh, I thought I had to do something more than just write letters because that just doesn't work very well. Um so not knowing what to do, I decided I would just make a sign and be a witness to what's happening uh, in my community. And so that's what I started doing. I went out on the street there, um, I think about the time they were pouring the foundations, and I went out there many times a week, sometimes every day for uh, for many months. And I, I, I don't go out there with the same frequency, but I still go out there four years later. Mm-hmm. Because uh, it, it's already happened, people live there, but um, I, I think it's important still to bear witness to what has happened there and to not normalize um, environmental degradation. Right now, there's a, there's a trail adjacent to it that I walk often with my dogs, and um, now there's a land reserve by that other section off level um, mm. in Wyatt. That's turned out to be a nice park. So if you don't know the history of it, it looks like a well-developed place where, you know, we have some type of sense of coexisting with nature. But didn't that development um, not only take away environment for animals, but didn't it disrupt the creek as well? I think, as far as I can tell, that the creek remained more or less unchanged. I don't think they diverted it or anything. And it's sort of um, a bit of a seasonal creek um, where there's more flow in in the winter than in the summer. But the animals, it's important. It was important for the animals because I live about a quarter of a mile to the west of there, and there's a creek that runs through um, the far edge of my property. And wildlife would move back and forth between those two areas. Mm-hmm. And since this development went up, I don't see any pheasant anymore. I used to come across them in my pasture like, all the time. Mm-hmm. They're just gone now because they need sufficient area to roam around and to, uh, you know, to hide right. from, from predators. And that's gone now. So they, you know, the creek is still there. There's a, there's a, you know, a buffer zone of, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 feet. But, you know, it's not a zoo. You know, animals can't live, <laughs> you know, no. in a confined space. They need they need more adjacent area to, to form, you know, a real a stable habitat. When I've been out on Finch Road, I've seen deer cross from the west side of Finch to the east side where the development is. And... It'll start to walk down the little dead end cul-de-sac there. And well, first of all, it walks across the street and it bumps into the fence. So they surrounded this compound with a fence. So the deer walk along the fence. They find the little street entrance to the cul-de-sac, walk down the cul-de-sac, 
10, 20 feet, realize it's a dead end, return back to Finch Road, and then head up the street along the fence line again, kind of give up, and then cross back Finch where they came from. So the, the and that's ac- not a safe crossing either. No, that's a it's, – it's a residential uh, street with a lot of bra- uh, blind uh, driveways. Speed limit's 30, but people drive way faster than that. Unfortunately, one – one man was paralyzed and another was killed right there as well by that, a car. That's right. And I have a neighbor that's been living there for like 20-something years, and he said there was a serious accident even before that years ago. So, yeah, that, that intersection of Sportsman and Finch is very dangerous. Mm-hmm. I've complained to the city a number of times about it, and they don't seem to be very interested in reducing the speed limit to 25, but it, that's another issue. Yeah, I think incorporated Winslow, uh, including that area, should be – 25 to 20, really. Well, it's 25 on Wyatt, just <laughs> at the end of the street. And, and that's a busier street. You than would this. never know. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah. It, that drives me nuts, that blind corner, for sure. Um, tell me a little bit about your background. You were a biochemist? Is that what background is? Yes, I, I was a scientist and I retired um, about 10 years ago. And now I am a subsistence farmer. What kind of things do you grow? I grow all the food I eat. Awesome. Um, Broccolis, tomatoes. Root vegetables, the whole shebang? Yeah. Carrots, potatoes, beans, corn, wheat, rye, oats, fruit. You got oats, huh? And Mm -hmm. there's there's no problem with rodents and stuff? The deer like the oats. Yeah. I, I I grew them successfully for several years before they found them. Now they found them, I have to come up with some other plan. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they like oats. They won't eat uh, wheat or rye. Um, but yeah, those are, I'm just experimenting with uh, – I can grow uh, a year's worth of oats and rye. Wheat, I find it harder in this environment. I haven't figured mm-hmm. that out yet. A little wet for it, right? I guess so. I mean, it it obviously grows well in the east part of the state. Yeah, for um, sure. Uh, so I guess there's a reason for it. But rye seems to grow fairly well here. My my veggie garden right out front of my house, the first plot, all Russian kale. I'm feeling a little embarrassed during these times about the Russian kale. So if, well, you, have, if you want some Russian kale starts or some yearling um, r- kale Hit me up, please. Well, what I like about the the kale is I use that as cover crop. Mm, yeah, so it grows so well. I mix that with uh, with rye, and that that stays all winter long. It's 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 great. Right, it can go to seed pretty quick too, though. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, my my son loves the the flowers right before it goes to seed in his salads. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. really good stuff. Um, that's fascinating. Um, so you're kind of a little bit. Closer to off the grid and in touch with your environment and the ecosystem and such. Yes, and, and and that is, you know, how I really came to appreciate uh, how my life is dependent upon a healthy environment and a stable climate. Um, you know, b- before this, I was very. It was clear to me that climate change was a real problem. I, I really. This really uh, crystallized my thinking on how serious a problem this really is. And that's why it's, I feel it's worth my effort to try to do something about it. So one of city council's guiding principles is climate change. I think it's one or two right at the top of their top 10 list. Um, you decided to run for the vacant city council spot. How well do you think city council is doing in that um, sworn oath of climate change here on the island? Very poorly. Um, in, in fact, uh, I believe that the majority of the city council are climate deniers. Uh, I wrote to the city council and asked them specifically this question. How does um, – environmental destruction and degradation contribute to global warming and climate change. Joe Dietz, the mayor presently, wrote back to me and said, uh, I'll paraphrase because I don't have his response in front of me, that climate change is neither his nor the city's responsibility. 
Seriously? Yes. Um, this is one of the guiding principles of city council. There's, there are eight guiding principles, and I think six of them relate to uh, environmental protection and stewardship. The, the city, if, it, Yeah, if that's the case, why do we have to protect our aqua aquifers and have the critical orients and the moratorium on development if we're not thinking about that? That's a, that's, that's a, asinine. Well, I, I think, in in my opinion, uh, the, the city has been completely corrupted, and by that I mean that it, it's a they participate in a corruption of democracy. In addition to being uh, climate deniers, they appoint people with a vested interest in uh, land degradation to a lot of these committees, like the Planning Commission, like the Climate Change Advisory Committee, uh, Green Building Task Force. All of these um, uh, city-sponsored committees have a vested interest in land degradation. Um, If you look at the... it's been a couple of years since I've been to the Climate Change Advisory Committee meeting, but when I attended several years ago, um, I asked uh, the committee why they were not um, considering land use in their uh, approach to uh, climate change. Mm-hmm. They were simply considering greenhouse gas emissions in sort of an abstract way. And the committee chairman... Michael Cox told me that, quote, they are not doing that, unquote. That is, they are not considering land use. Well, if, if I could distill 50 years of climate science into one statement, it would be human-induced environmental degradation is the cause of global warming and climate change. Yet, the committee refuses to consider the land, the actual earth under our feet, as part of their uh, analysis. So if you – to get back to sort of my original sort of point was that several of the members of this committee are land use consultants. A land use consultancy is like a company – that helps developers figure out how to get around environmental laws. That's what they do. <laughs> they may say, oh, yeah, save some trees over here, but here are the laws and here's what you can do. Uh, there was someone who worked for PSC or a consultant for PSC. Um, so their interest is not in really protecting the environment and climate change. It's in development. So if you look at their report, it, it, it's so – it's so bad, I don't even know where to begin. You know, a week, I could talk to you for probably three hours on this report. Um, okay, uh, I'm, I'm ready. Okay. So <laughs> the, one of the first statements they make is that they – that Bainbridge Island will reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 90% by 2045 and three years from now – 2025, greenhouse gas emissions will be reduced by 25%. And in 2035, they'll be reduced by 60%. That is just so bizarre. Like, we are growing, raising the earth, putting up tract homes and McMansion developments, and just uh, recently, the church, which is just a stone's throw from this McMansion development, wants to put 21 houses on a spot that's only zoned for one. A 2,000% increase in the housing density at this church site, yet we're going to reduce greenhouse gas emissions by 90%. It, it's just it's, – it, it's it's I don't know if it's um, negligence or stupidity or deception that that they would make such statements without well, sort of – I think we have um, low-income housing rot in our brain and everybody's scrambling to find some solution when there really isn't a solution in my mind. 
we have had ample opportunity from um, what do we call it? Uh, place over by, by the schools there, Northtown Woods, um, the Grow community, uh, a few other places that have been developed under the lead or green um, acts. Like we're going to make this as uh, earth friendly as possible, but it's completely densified in what used to be open spaces or forest. And then they commit to a certain amount of low-income housing, but then the developer can choose to spend the money on lead or um, green housing and not build the affordable housing. I look at this as as an island. It is not a place of residential low-income housing. Yes, we have to have a certain amount of people come from off the island to work here. Yes, some of our firemen and teachers can't afford to live here. But it is a, it is a place that environmentally, you know, is a, an incredible place. We're surrounded by water. The entire island is. There's forests. There's land trust area. There's diverse wildlife and such. It's it's waterfront property a lot, you know, and I don't see a solution to low-income housing. But I also see that we've far exceeded the the absorption of growth for Kitsap County. We do not need to continue to build, but there's a huge push to build affordable housing. How do you, how do you think the winter was wintergreen property versus a church property? I mean, wintergreen is already asphalt jungle. And there's also a plan to put in stacked housings there for low-income housing. Why do you think the church is jumping in on this? I mean, they have a beautiful orchard there, a lot of space, great bird wildlife. Um, it's it's a nice breakup between the houses right there. Why do you think they've jumped into this low-income housing game? I've spoken with um, uh, the pastor of the church, uh, several congregants, and they insist to me that they're not making any money on this, uh, that they're going to have nothing really to do with it except they're donating the land, apparently. Um, I feel that to be true, though. Do you? Well, Perhaps, but until we actually see the plan, we won't know. They've been very guarded about what they're doing. So mm-hmm. nobody really knows what their plan is. Um, uh, an architect just last night at the planning commission, uh, John Davis architect, who seems to be representing them, although the church told me specifically he was not. So there's a something is inconsistent there. But nonetheless, last night at the planning commission meeting, he uh, presented a proposal where how the, the 21 units were going to be spaced in this area. There was no mention about how you know the the, the mechanics of the donation and and who pays for it exactly. Although one of the congregants uh, spoke uh, during public comment and mentioned that they really need to do this because they want to get their hands on 1.7 million dollars of. Uh, government ARPA money, the uh, uh, federal government funds um, designed to help mitigate um, shortfalls in city revenue because of the pandemic. Uh, ironically, uh, the city uh, has stated that this is supposed to be uh, 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 earmarked for uh, environmentally uh, uh, you know, conscious projects. Anyway, back to the church. So um, they, I asked them if this is not, uh, you know, about overdevelopment and greed. Why not just um, build an one or two or whatever number of affordable houses that are consistent with this the zoning at that site? So it's presently zoned. Uh, R0.4, which means one house per two and a half acres, which is the same zoning across the street 
uh, on Finch that the neighbors live. Um, he said that they don't want to do that because providing an affordable house for one person is not as good as providing for a couple dozen people. And I stated that in my mind, that is greed of charity. You're asking that, uh, for the neighbors to have to, uh, um, live next to a high density development that is not zoned for, for that, uh, level of density. And what is the problem with having an affordable house or two, uh, that someone, some deserving person, family could live in just like the rest of the neighbors in harmony with the neighborhood. Like why does affordable housing necessarily have to be high density? You know? That's a good question. And to me, that's, I told them, I said, I called it uh, greed of charity. And they insisted that, you know, at the time we were talking about 32 units, that numbers come down, but they said 32 is better than one. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in Sunday school, I learned that God's love was infinite. It cannot, it's not divisible. It's not like. It's not measured by 20 houses or five. Right. If you, if you unconditionally love someone, you unconditionally love all humanity. So that sort of um, accounting mechanism to describe love uh, it just doesn't, you know, make sense to me. Not only that, I said, you can't say that, oh, you know, we just uh, are, uh, you know, we're donating this land for overdevelopment and now we wash our hands of it. We're not responsible for what happens after that. And I say, no, that is not true. You cannot, uh, uh, you know, rid yourself of, of the, the burden of unleashing the forces of greed and development on this community, you know, mm-hmm. and it doesn't work that way because they're taking advantage of, of developers and architects and consultants that all want a piece of the action, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I just I dis- disagree with that. There's been a habit of um, not actually making a decision or a vote on things and hiring another consultant. You know, we did it with the logo for, I don't know how long branding the city. Um, I think we spent more on consulting fees than we did on the logo. Just thrown, uh, stones throw from the Studio 15 here. Um, there's a toothpick forest that the city owns that they wanted to put 70. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And there's aquifers and there's trails where the kids walk safely to, to two schools, um, if not three. Um, it's a very well-traveled, coexisting type place with a pond and the idea of how the parking and the traffic flow around school where it's already kids, kids on around the Island don't necessarily ride the bus here. (laughs) There's a lot of people pick their kids up in the cars and there it's just gridlock at between three and four Mm -hmm. there. And then adding 60 houses and destroying a forest that they haven't maintained. That's another thing. It's a sickly forest. And if it's in the control of the city, I would say at least maintain that forest. But that that idea blew me away too. So there's been lots of examples of the push for this low-income development. And it's just like, hey, where can we pick a spot to do this? It It's a must-have type situation. Do you feel that way? I'm sorry. It's it's must have. Oh, that they believe it's must have. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's um, uh, part of it is I think money making. It's an excuse to, um, uh, you know, use open spaces. You know, to to use open spaces to uh, to develop, and if people object to it, you're a NIMBY. Or you're uh, uh, insensitive, or racist, or or you know elitist. Elitist. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, I think a, a lot of it is to assuage liberal guilt. 
You know, the people, <laughs> the people who are yeah. responsible for this problem, the affordable housing problem, instead of getting to the root of the problem, they want to make money off of it by overdevelopment. You know, why not uh, pay people a living wage? Mm-hmm. You know, why uh, uh, not subsidize uh, people's housing? Like if you look at the comprehensive plan, one of the uh, elements, uh, uh, a goal in the housing element is to decrease cost burden to people. So I think it's defined as if you spend 30% of your income on housing, your cost burden. So the city wanted to reduce the number of people uh, that fall in that category. Well, instead of spending all this money to destroy the environment, you could uh, uh, subsidize Mm -hmm. people who are in that uh, category. And raising money for that, I don't think would be that hard. Um, Another thing about the the affordable housing uh, is that, you know, the city – has destroyed affordable housing just to make these high developments. For example, the Grow Pretend Eco Village was an affordable housing area. There were people. There was like regular homes that. that hey, if you have a million dollars, you can stay in this apartment and feel good about yourself. Yeah. So what did they do? They mowed the affordable housing area down to mm-hmm. put up again like i said these pretend eco village and these places do you see what they're going for it's astounding it's a, about a million yeah. an apartment right yeah it's crazy like, and that was all like military housing from the 70s or whatever and i know that because um i grew up that way we got a five acres of land we lived off the grid for a long time in a trailer and then we bought one of those houses like they destroyed there, mm. picked it up, and my dad was a good carpenter, and we put a basement under it and built our house, and that took a few years, and that was our first house. It was Rambler style, and there was, I think there was 32 uh, Ramblers in that area, mm-hmm. you know? And now, what is it, 180 apartments going for a million? And the premise was a certain portion of those were going to be affordable housing, and they there was also a section that um they still were able to develop that they just pulled a plug on recently they could have developed that at the end and made that a, the affordable housing but now it's just a meadow you know so we i i hear what you're saying in we've destroyed those type of opportunities you know as, as a government's yeah. uh, as a governance yeah, across, across the street from the church, I call my neighborhood there where I live. That's an affordable housing neighborhood. People have been living there for a long time. They're small little houses. But when you encroach upon them with high development, high density development, then the city says, oh, well, you know what? We may as well just change the, the zoning across the street because look at it, it's right next to yeah. th- this. And that's the argument they're using uh, for this church development because on Sportsman Club, I think there's four houses across the street from the church. And so that area is zoned like R1 or something, one house per acre or maybe two or something like that. So – the argument the city's trying to make is that, oh, look, you know, it's right next to this, you know, higher density uh, zone. They ignore the lower density on two sides of the triangle and focus on, you know, the one side. Yeah, and people that have retired here, mm-hmm. you know, they may have retired here when their house was $250,000. And now, due to development and what's going on in the housing market. Now their house is not a $250,000 house. They're no longer working. And it's a million-dollar house. And now they have to pay taxes on that. And everything around here, I won't say everything, but the majority of things are ran off our property taxes. Mm-hmm. So what is mom and pop, you know, 70 years old, doing? They're, they're getting priced out of living here. And they, they've earned the right to be here. And that that just breaks my heart to some extent too. I mean, my house, 
was $340,000 or whatever when we bought it. Mm-hmm. And now it's a million dollars easy. Yeah. My, and uh, it's a shack. <laughs> yeah. My, my house is practically doubled in value. I didn't do anything. Right. Yeah. We haven't done anything either. And I, I would, a lot of people go, oh, that's, that's great. You know, I think it's bad. I just want to live in my house. Right. You know, I'm not, I don't, I didn't buy a house so I can make money off it. That wasn't the goal. Mm-hmm. The end goal was to have a house. That's right. Right. And, and and if you sold it, where would you live? That's right. You have to. I have to use that million dollars to buy some other million dollar place. Yeah. No, I, I think that's um, uh, in in part the corruption that I see in city government because they're more interested in people that live elsewhere than citizens, tax paying citizens that live on the island and vote for them. And I. Uh, one day when I was uh, on the street, a young man who uh, – his name was Wesley. He owned a restaurant downtown and was complaining that the city government is is unresponsive to a lot of small business owners. And they're more interested in tourist traffic. Mm-hmm. And I thought exact same thing. Yeah, it's just like the COVID relief package. Like how can we help downtown businesses? Well, there's businesses all over the island, but they're – main concern was just Winslow Way, the ferry traffic and the tourism. And that was it. Other businesses didn't really cross their mind. Yeah, no, we're, we, we taxpayers are already captured. They can ignore us. We're not going anywhere. They're interested in bringing yeah. people. But like even with the school funding, it's based on population and enrollment. There's not a 24 or 26-year-old um, family with a small child able to come here and live. So they're not attracting new kids for the school district um, or or young families whatsoever. There, there's no real like duplex life out here, right? Mm-hmm. You know, or quadplex or anything like that. There's not like a starter home that somebody could buy and then move on up as a young family. Well, yeah, because the affordable homes they've raised to, to put higher density, expensive homes. And I don't get the density part when, like I said, we've achieved our growth mm-hmm. quota. That's true. I think for the next 10 years, maybe? Yes. If, if uh, you, you look at the – that's another thing the city's done. If, if you look at the actual growth rate, the city tries to pretend that it's less than that so they can um, uh, you know, advocate for greater growth. But as you say, we've met even those targets. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there's there's real there's no real basis for it except money making. Yep. And if you have a density of thirty thirty plex or forty plex or seventy like they were trying to do in the toothpick forest, you know, that's all revenue. You know, future revenue. Each one of those people are gonna get taxed. So when you're out there protesting with your sign, and I like how you kinda have a chalk outline of the island like it's a, a dead body on your sign. Do you get argumentative people or supportive people? Do you have people that sit, come out of their cars or walk by and have conversations with you? How, how have you been received over the last three years or so? Um, I've spoken with a, a wide range of people, uh, people who are angry at me, people who support me, people who – you know, not sure what to think, but just want to talk. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's been a, a complete mix. You know, when I was uh, when they were uh, building the McMansions, I think I spoke with someone from every trade, and guys would come out and they'd always it, it was it was surprised me. They'd always ask the same question first, like, "Are you mad at us?" Mm-hmm. You know, and I thought I was surprised because you know I'm not mad at them. At all, you know, like nothing but respect for actual working people, people who work with their bodies, people who actually produce something. Mm-hmm. That I respect. Um, we're all sort of caught in a web, right? We all have to work. Uh, yeah, they're building these McMansions, but they're just doing their job. But every one of them, well, not everyone, many of them really supported what I was doing. They said, you know what? We work all over the place. We hate what we see. 
Um, and a lot of people were sort of in a, in a bad way. And I think the developer probably took advantage of them. Like one guy, he was a, he was a Finnish carpenter, came all the way from Puyallup for this job. Mm-hmm. He told me like he just needed the work. It was hardly worth it to him to like drive all the way out to Bainbridge Island to do this. Um, a cement truck driver told me he was really upset about it. Same sort of thing. Says, "Man, I drive all over the place. I can't believe like how much development there is and 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 the the amount of you know land degradation he sees." Um, roofer, siders. Painters. I spoke with some painters. They uh, they were confused. They just couldn't understand, you know, mm-hmm. the concept. Um, uh, and then I had one guy who drove a a, a, a a tractor. He was he was really upset at me. He yelled at me a lot. And the developer was out there yelling at me all the time. Yeah. Well, hey, for a long time, I'm going to give you credit here where credit is due. Those houses weren't moving when they were built. No, it took them a long time to sell them. Took them a long time. So you had impact for sure. And uh, that's something to be proud of. Um, besides the developer, what type of people threw shade at you? Who? What kind of hate did people have for you? What? What? What is? What's their issues? <laughs> um, I hear things like, well, most of the the negativity it comes from people who don't actually like stop. They'll drive by and yell at me. I've had people throw stuff at me. Um, people will sometimes drive into the shoulder towards me, stuff like that. And and oftentimes the people who are yelling at me, I really can't hear what they're saying. Right, they're driving by. You know, I just hear. <laughs> but a lot of people uh, are, are just sort of saying, you know, you, this is foolish. You can't stop progress. Uh, like, why even try? You know, it's don't you have something better to do? Yeah, get a job. Get a job. I hear that a lot. <laughs> really? Oh, well, what would you like to see? Oh, before I ask that question, you ran for city council when the spot opened up. What What was that experience like? Um. I don't know. It wasn't that pleasant. I mean, I don't really want to be on city council. I don't want to be an elected f- official. That's not it's just not what I'm interested in. But um, I, since they were uh, appointing someone to fill the, uh, uh, a seat, I think it was when Matt Chairman resigned. Um, again, I thought I should pursue all avenues to sort of get my message out there. Another, even though I don't want, I mean, I don't want to stand on the street with a sign either. Like I don't do that for fun. Um, I don't want to write letters. I don't want to attend city council meetings. Uh, none of those things I find enjoyable. Um, but I, I felt I should at least try. So yeah, I went through the interview process. It was all, it was just so weird. Um, yeah, I don't know what more to say about that. It's like unpleasant. I hear you. So I guess this may be my final question here. Um, what would you like to see happen for the future of Bainbridge Island and how we as residents of the island interact with city council and make positive change where we've we stopped this unnecessary growth um, and I guess that's my opinion. It's unnecessary growth. Maybe it's very necessary to have low income housing, but I'm not convinced of that. How how would you like to see this island shape up in the future and and the participation by both residents and governments? I would love to see uh, people wake up to what's happening. Um, I don't know how to do that, but to stand on the street with my sign, uh, talk to people who come uh, to see me, um, participate in things like this, talking with you. Um, I, you know, people have to, um, you know, get to a, a place of some kind of, you know, enlightenment on their own. You have to care. Yeah, I mean, like as I mentioned, I I've, I've cared a lot 
for the environment, but it wasn't until I really got my hands into the earth that I realized how desperate this situation is. The food production is is it well it requires a very stable environment that has been around for essentially 10,000 years or longer and we're messing with that we're in big trouble um it it's hard to understand i think for people it seems very abstract but it's real and it's happening the ice at the uh ends of the earth are melting and that is destabilizing uh the climate it's it's very scary. We're only, you know, one crop failure away from big trouble. I think maybe this war in Ukraine, uh, unfortunately, might help people understand that because Russia is the number one uh, wheat exporter in the world. Ukraine is number five. Um, that's a lot of wheat that's being taken off the market. And a lot of countries, especially in the Middle East, depend solely on Russian and Ukrainian wheat. So there's going to be some hungry people. Um, there's hungry people it, now. There's going to water be more. Too. And, and yes, and water. That's a big problem on this island. So how to get people to, to see what's happening, I, I don't know. But I, I hope people can start to see the corruption that's happening in our city. Um, and – you know, presently there is a tort lawsuit against the city regarding this Harrison Hospital uh, debacle that uh, Cole Medina was involved in, and the present city is refusing to acknowledge it. I've written to the city and spoken at city council meeting about this issue. Now, what does that have to do with climate change? Well, when the city squanders our money, they have to make it up somehow. And the way they make it up is by development. It increases the tax base. It increases the uh, uh, the revenue that they take. But then to meet all the extra services they need, you have to have more development. It's just this never-ending sort of Ponzi scheme. So I just hope people can kind of wake up to that. Like we need, um, you know, real – you know, leaders that uh, are willing to face the real problems. You know, I mentioned earlier about this uh, climate change uh, action, you know, report. Um, it, it's just so incredibly bogus. You know, like a lot of – they have 179 action points in this thing. And every one of them is is tied to development. You know, like uh, take – Take the recommendations of the Green Building Task Force so that we have solar panels on new construction and crap like that. I mean, solar energy is not going to save us. It is a an illusion. That's yeah, same with electric cars. And electric cars and wind turbines. That requires as much oil or more than just burning, you know, natural gas for electricity. It, it, we're being – it's a misdirection. Mm -hmm. So I think people – see, the problem with the, that action plan is they give the impression everything is okay. Hey, we're going to reduce emissions 90% in, in a few years. Don't worry. We're not. Mm -hmm. Emissions are only going to go up and up and up. They will never go down as long as we uh, fail to um, address land overdevelopment and degradation um, and overconsumption. So what type of things – I want to finish on positive note, I think. Um, not that what we've said is not positive, but um, what are some of the things that you really value about our community and enjoy? Uh, I really like um, the eclectic nature uh, of this community. When I, um, I, I am an introvert. I really don't want to leave my garden. I'm happy when I'm home. Uh, but th this, you know, actions that I've taken have brought me out of my garden and I've walked all the dirt roads and the streets of my community. Mm -hmm. And I am really surprised at the different living situations, the different, uh, perspectives, 
the different sort of ways people, you know, are, are solving their day-to-day life problems, you know, I was really, uh, I, truly impressed and enjoyed talking to a lot of the people I met. It was really, even people who just don't quite get climate change and didn't really want to talk about it, they were talking about different other things. So I think we have a really, um, you know, people don't consider it diverse because there aren't um, as many, um, you know, people of color and minority groups as you find in urban areas. But it's diverse in um, um, perspective and opinion and life experience, which is, you know, what I value in people regardless of who they are, whether you're black or brown or white or, you know, whatever your your sort of ancestry is, it's your sort of, you know, I, your ideas and your heart and your feeling that is what is appealing, you know, and we have a lot of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I like that. I feel good about it. And I've met a lot of people that uh, that I now consider friends that I didn't know before. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming in and, and sharing your ideas and thoughts, Jim. I really appreciate it. I've, I'm sorry I haven't made time to talk to you earlier, um, but uh, I appreciate the things that you're championing, championing and um, the way you're going about carrying yourself in our community. Uh, you're welcome. It's my pleasure to speak with you today. Awesome. Well, shout out to Sound Reaper Graphics, Thailand Magazine, Blue Canary for your sponsorship. The people that are so kind to subscribe and become flies on the wall on the Patreon page. You've been listening to The Bystander. Be kind.